Hello, my name is Mallory Jenna Robinson. Join me on A Hateful Homicide, a true crime podcast dedicated to telling the stories regarding the murders of transgender, gender non-binary, and gender diverse community members in the United States and abroad. This is A Hateful Homicide. 911, what's your emergency? Yeah. transgender woman has been shot and killed in North Baltimore, Alpha. In the U.S., trans women of color have a life expectancy of just 35 years. This happens on a daily. Another one of my friends got killed right up the street from here. These cases are true. The victims are real and their voices matter. This is A Hateful Homicide. The murder of Samuel Edmund Damien Valentine. Someone shot Sammy. Friday, January 9th, 2021, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Warning, the following episode you're about to listen to may contain audio evidence of some misgendering. Listening discretion is advised. A woman was driving just south of San Juan, Puerto Rico, in the early hours of January 9th when she hit what she thought was an object. When she got out of the car, she realized it was a dead body with multiple gunshot wounds. Local news WAPA reported. The victim was identified as Samuel Edmund Damien Valentine. Puerto Rican police initially reported the murder of a woman, but his friends and family confirmed to Nodi Centro that Damien Valentine was a trans man. Lieutenant Jose Patton, director of homicides for the criminal investigation unit in neighboring Carolina, told the San Juan Daily Star, his mom told me that he would always prefer for others to call him Samuel, Sam or Sammy. Police are investigating the killing and didn't have any other information to add. The Human Rights Campaign reports that at least 12 LGBTQ people in Puerto Rico have been violently killed since the beginning of 2019. In 2020, at least six trans people were killed and identified as Alexa Negron Luciano, Yampi Mendez Arroco, Serena Angelique Velasquez Ramos, Leila Pelaez Sanchez, Penelope Diaz Ramirez, and Michelle Michelin Ramos Vargas. Human rights activist Pedro Juilo Serrano called on police to address the wave of homophobic and transphobic violence. It's Friday, January 9th, 2021 in the city of San Juan, Puerto Rico. It would be the home where 27-year-old trans Latino male Samuel Edmund Damien Valentin would reside. And when he went missing that Thursday, January 8th of 2021, and was discovered shot badly and dumped in a ditch outside of Trujillo Alto, just 15 miles south of San Juan, it will leave the city seeking justice for years to come. Welcome, my audience. Thank you all so much for tuning in to season four, episode three, Someone Shot Sammy. This is the murder of Samuel Edmund Damien Valentine. Again, an incredible 27-year-old, handsome trans-Latino man who had so much life ahead of him and was so looking forward to the 2021 new year when just 
on those early morning hours outside of San Juan, the city's capital, the, the, the territory's capital, the country's capital as well, because we want to acknowledge Puerto Rico as its own entity, was shocked by this hateful homicide. There was a lot of um, misgendering in the initial reports, especially according to the San Juan Daily Star. But when Samuel's body was discovered around 6.30 a.m., uh, again, outside of Trujillo, I'll tell my audience, Lieutenant Jose Padin was the first on the scene and he wanted to, of course, get answers for the family. And one of the things that he had to do was then make the unfortunate death notification to Samuel's parents. And, you know, Pedra, his mother, was completely beside herself. And one of the things that she was really vocal about was making sure that her son uh, was identified as Samuel. And so one of the things that, um, because his mom and his dad and his family was so pivotal on affirming not only his social transition, which included his name and pronouns, but also they wanted to affirm his identity as Samuel. And so Lieutenant Jose Padin um, informed his staff who would be working the hateful homicide of this incredible man who went by Sammy as well to his friends and loved ones. And that is how he was referred going forward. Um, and even um, Lieutenant Jose Padin um, shared again with the San Juan Daily Star um, for them as well to refer um, Samuel as Sammy or Samuel to be respectful. So there was this element already of being affirming to Samuel, um, even though there was some initial misgendering. At the same time, as you heard in the initial audio, which was uh, one of the recordings from the Daily Star, <clears throat> it really talked about this growing violence towards trans folks and, um, and our LGBTQ folks in general, especially around 2019. As we all know, with the global pandemic of, um, with, with the coronavirus of 2020, we saw an even bigger rise in violence, especially domestic violence, but even also what's known as these thrill killings, right? Where these spree killings are where people just start committing these random acts of violence, especially towards like marginalized communities. And so that was one of the initial theories that Lieutenant Patton had was the person who committed this hateful homicide of Sammy. Was it someone that he knew or was it some random thrill killer who just was targeting trans people or people who express or identify differently? And that was one of the things that him and his team were going to get uh, to the bottom of my audience. And as we continue to go through this case, we're going to hear not only um, from our incredible vlogger, Raven Noah, at the end of the episode, just sharing her own um, take. Remember, she commented on the Jacksonville sniper shooter back in season two. And then also we're going to have a couple of um, audio testimonies from other incredible citizens and residents of Puerto Rico who also identify as trans and really want to <clears throat> hopefully get the world to see just exactly how things are going in Puerto Rico. Yes, it is a territory of the United States and because of that there are certain um, laws and policies that have been put into place to really affirm our LGBTQ plus community out there in Puerto Rico and other areas, but there's still a lot of work to be done, especially towards the just innate and infrastructure violence that happens. And so unfortunately, Samuel fell victim to that on the morning of January 9, 2021. And again, L Lieutenant Jose Padin had to go over and make that death notification around 7.30, just an hour later. 
Samuel's body was then taken to the coroner's office just outside of San Jose, excuse me, San Juan. And when, um, of course, our coroner, uh, Manuel Ortiz, he discovered that Samuel had been shot five times, once in the back of the head and four times in the chest. This was definitely a murder and a hateful homicide. Now, Lieutenant Jose Padin had to determine was this case going to warrant and merit a hate crime because of Samuel's gender identity, my audience. And that was a really important piece for us to understand too because of the hate crime statutes and laws. And as we've went through different episodes <clears throat> in different seasons, we know all too well that the hate crime statute can be applied um, if it is evident that the victim was targeted due to their gender identity, sexual orientation, or expression. And so Lieutenant Jose, Jose Padin starts speaking to Sammy's friends and family members and wanted to see if there was like any recent conflict that he may have had with either friends or a potential partner. Again, that's why I preface with the rise of um, intimate partner violence, especially around 2020, because Samuel did have a uh, couple of relationships um, that did go pretty violent. Um, one was in the middle of 2019 um, that ended um, around the early part of 2020. And then the other one was from the mid part of 2020 until the latter part. So he had just gotten out of this relationship right before his hateful homicide, like just a week before. So there was all these different theories on, was it someone that he knew? Was it a romance gone wrong? Or was this some kind of random person who was targeting trans folks? And of course, as we heard in the initial audio, there was a list of victims who had already begun um, to tally up by 2019 and certainly by the beginning of 2021 um, when Samuel Edmund Val Damien Valentine's hateful homicide was committed. So again, my audience, you know, it's really important for us to understand a little bit about Samuel. You know, he began his ginger journey very early on. Um, in his early teens, to be honest. It was around the age of 13, he began to express, and this would have been around 2006. And so he began expressing um, masculine presenting. And his mother, Pedro, recalls just his willingness to just be himself for himself and the confidence that he had. And even though Sammy did face discrimination in middle school and high school, um, he still, again, like a lot of our victims in these cases, my audience, he persevered. He was tenacious and he began to be empowered in his truth. Around 2011, when he turned 18, Samuel officially began looking into um, like the options to medically transition. So this would have been hormone replacement therapy in the form of testosterone and other puberty, um, or excuse me, um, sex-driven um, hormones that would be suppressed. And so all of these things were part of Samuel's truth. He cut his hair even shorter. Um, he was binding his chest. All of these things to assure that um, his masculine presence was going to be affirmed in public. Um, and then also he had went through several like iterations of his name. And finally around 2011 as well, just 10 years before his hateful homicide, um, he did officially um, go by Sammy. Though his name was not officially legally changed, everyone who loved and affirmed him called him Sammy. 
when it came to the relationship with his family, it was a work in progress. Um, like we know with some of our victims, they either have supportive families, they're either still figuring it out, or unfortunately at the time of their hateful homicides, there was no resolution and the victim and their families were not close. In Samuel's case, however, he was close with his family, both his mother and his father, and even his siblings too. And, you know, they affirmed his gender identity. His dad, you know, recalls just being proud to have a son, another son, um, and, and loving Sammy. Um, but of course, they were a family of economic beings, like a lot of us um, who are just trying to figure out our income status. And so unfortunately, there weren't a lot of financial resources that they could provide to Samuel for his gender um, journey. And so one of the things that he began to do was really start connecting outside of Puerto Rico. He really looked into places like Miami and Orlando, Florida, places where he figured that would still be somewhat close to Puerto Rico, but where he could possibly move to and begin to receive like medical services. And so that is uh, one of the things that he did around 2014. At the age of 21, he went out to Miami and began looking into options on his hormone replacement therapy he did find someone and because of him having relatives in the state of Florida he was able to um, become a resident for a short period of time to begin um, some of his medical transitioning so this would include you know again hormone replacement therapy and even looking into ways of um, you know having some affirming surgeries to even have his image be as masculine as possible and so these were things that Samuel continued to do between 2014 and 2020 he would go back and forth between Florida and San Juan Puerto Rico by 2020 um, again he had just got out of one relationship with an individual by the name of Kevin and um, just because of Kevin's, um, he would like to remain anonymous, so we'll just um, go with his first name. But um, Kevin um, was in a relationship with Samuel, and Samuel was very, like, he identified as pansexual, so he, his sexual orientation was pretty much mostly, like, very fluid, and um, so he would date, like, cis men and cis women and trans women and trans men, and so um, in 2019, um, until 2020, he was the first relationship before his hateful homicide was with um, a cis man by the name of Kevin. Um, he too <clears throat> was a cis Latino male. They had met in some of the um, club scenes out there in San Juan that was very like queer friendly um, and they connected. And from Kevin's perspective, when I spoke with him, <clears throat> he talked about his admiration for Sammy. He recalled seeing Sammy like at the nightclub around the summer of 2019 and he was just dancing it was wrapping up a pride season and um he recalls just thinking that he was very interesting that samuel had this trans pride flag um like painted on his forehead and he was like dancing in the club and he just went up and they started talking and the relationship um continued to grow from there um when i asked kevin regarding his breakup with Sammy. He stated that the relationship started to go bad around um, the pandemic, that because um, that a lot of people were beginning to be isolated, that he himself started to um, change 
and I think Sammy as well according to him started to change and they started to have like I guess mm, conflict on how things should go in a relationship um, especially when it came to like to should they go out in public or should they not go out in public because of the pandemic and so of course we know that I'm sure some of us can relate some of us even though COVID happened we still kept on moving and kept on living life and some of us you know huddled indoors and stayed inside of course and that was recommended but that was a really source of conflict between Samuel and Kevin and so by April of 2020 the two had went their separate ways and by June of 2020 Samuel had gotten into a relationship um with another cis guy uh, by the name of um Jorge. And so um, Jorge Salvador was this 29-year-old cis Latino male who had also met Samuel um, at a event. It was a more like kind of contained event because the pandemic was happening. Uh, but it was basically like this little like house party queer event. It was raising awareness for a friend who, or a, basically a fundraiser for um, a trans woman who had been murdered um, a couple of weeks before. And so he had met Samuel there, or he did, and the two began a relationship instantly. It was they. I think they started living together. Samuel was living with. Jorge for some time, his mother Pedra, Samuel's mother Pedra recalled Jorge, meeting Jorge briefly um, like at a market, I think they were shopping and she recalled that Jorge seemed very aggressive um, with Samuel, almost very like impatient. Um, and she wasn't sure if it was just because maybe they had things to do, but she recalled just thinking that that was odd in contrast to the dynamic with Kevin. And so she did speak to her son about maybe a potential element of like controlling and manipulation. And Samuel, who at this point was already 27 in 2020, um, was, you know, very headstrong. He was always very independent on... On, on, on who he was and who he loved. And so, um, of course, he took into advisement what his mother shared, but continued on with the relationship with Jorge. Until the early part of December, the two had a huge blowout that would result in law enforcement being called and Samuel literally fleeing for his life. Samuel left the home that he shared with Jorge, ended the relationship, and returned home to his mother and father to repick up the pieces of his life. By 2020, Samuel, um, once he had moved back in, it was right before Christmas, he had decided that he was looking into gender-affirming surgeries by audience. So he was really um, thinking about going back to Miami um, in the beginning of 2021 and um, beginning gender-affirming surgery from the trans-masculine perspective, which is very different. It's a very different surgery. Um, than for a trans woman. So this is where you're now going to recruit, um, you're going to create a phallus, a penetrative phallus um, in the form of a penis. And it does um, surgically resemble, but there's other different pieces that goes into that surgery. And so, of course, Samuel had started to do research and um, looking into like preoperative healthcare. He had already had like a couple of surgeons that he was really interested in connecting with in Miami. 
Um, and so he had started looking into making flight plans for March of 2021. Unfortunately, those plans would not come to be because he would be discovered, shot five times, once in the head and four in the upper torso in the ditch area along Trujillo Alto on Friday morning, January 9th of 2021. So just two months before he was planning to go back to Miami and looking to connecting with different surgeons to for an affirming surgery that he so desperately deserved. Unfortunately, those plans would be cut short due to whomever decided to commit the hateful homicide of Samuel Edmund Damien Valentin on that Friday morning of January 9th, 2021. When Lieutenant Jose Patton had spoke with um, Samuel's parents, they wanted to know his, his last movements and specifically the night of January 8th of 2021. This would have been a Thursday night and Samuel had stated that he was going to go out and meet with some friends. They were able to look at Samuel's cell phone and see that he did have a conversation with Jorge on that night. Um, there was some cellular phone triangulation data evidence that was retrieved and showed that their phones, Jorge's and Samuel's, were in the same proximity for a short period of time. But it looks like, based on what they were able to review, that the conversation, what it happened, basically Jorge and Samuel met, they spoke, but um, Jorge went his separate way and Samuel was left alive. Uh, so then that then ruled out Jorge as a potential person of interest and even subsequent suspect in the hateful homicide of Samuel. However, Jose, Lieutenant Jose Padin, wanted to go backwards and look into the first relationship that Samuel was in, and that was again in summer of 2019 with Kevin. So Lieutenant Jose Padin reached out to Kevin and the two spoke. He did an audio interview with Kevin and really wanted to understand if there was still any animosity for the breakup. And Kevin stated no, that the two remained friends um, and that they had spoken on the night of January 8th. Um, that he had, that Samuel had shared with Kevin that he was going to go meet with Jorge, that they were going to talk about the, the violence that had happened in Jorge's home back on December 7th, um, just a month before the hateful homicide. And so, um, you know, Kevin stated to Samuel, be careful. And that was the last time he spoke to him. And then when he heard from Pedra, um, Samuel's mother, he too suspected that it could have been Jorge and expressed that to Lieutenant Jose Padin, who had been already by January 13th, um, four days after the hateful homicide, had already now met with Kevin and stated that they had already confirmed that Jorge was not the perpetrator. So they wanted to understand exactly where Kevin was. They traced his steps and was able to clear him as well. And so then my audience, now we're asking ourselves, who shot Sammy? Someone shot him five times, killing him. And the reality is, is that these violence, these murders that happen not only here in America that we've covered, but also in other areas, unfortunately, sometimes they go unsolved. But I want to now take you into just some experience of some violence that has happened first from a trans woman who was harassed before being viciously murdered, and then also from a trans man himself, someone who not only knew Samuel, but also is in his own truth. Mm -hmm. 
A shocking murder in Puerto Rico is raising concern about the safety of transgender people in the U.S. territory. Video taken just before Alex Negron's final moments last week was posted on social media. It shows her being threatened and harassed before gunshots are heard. The governor of Puerto Rico says all signs at this point to a hate crime. The human rights campaign says at least 26 transgender or gender non-conforming people were killed in the U.S. last year, and 91% of those cases were black women, and 81% of all people under the age of 30. Our lead national correspondent, David Bagno, traveled to Puerto Rico to investigate the story. This is very upsetting. David, good, good morning to you. What do you know? Good morning to you. So her name was Alexa. That's who she told people she was. We know very little about her, and her family is not talking. A transgender person like Alexa is someone who's sex assigned at birth is different from who they know they are on the inside. So far, her killer or killers have not been arrested. And it appears as though a false narrative spread on social media, and that led people to defame Alexa and may have driven some to target, threaten, and kill her. Alexa used the women's restroom at this McDonald's in Toa Baja, Puerto Rico. Police tell us someone accused her of putting a mirror under a bathroom stall to peep on people. But the police say there was no proof of that. After the McDonald's incident, people started to shame Alexa on social media. Crazy guy dressed as a woman, one post read. Be careful and watch out. That false narrative spread like wildfire. Nandy Torres says he watched in horror as the hate built on social media. He met Alexa last November. He saw her lying on a bench, looking scared. On the night Alexa was murdered, Torres says he sat at home responding to those hateful social media posts. Police tell us those social media posts may have motivated three 18-year-old young men to threaten Alexa and record it. In that recording, something is shot at Alexa. Police are investigating whether it was a pellet gun, a paintball gun, or a handgun with a silencer. The 29-year-old's body was found on the side of the road, shot multiple times. 12 9mm bullet casings were found at the scene. Police believe those three teenagers left and came back to the scene, and they think they either committed the murder or they know the person who did. Alexa's murder has shocked the conscience of people in Puerto Rico and horrified the transgender community, of which 27-year-old Maria is a part of. We might not be killed, but a lot of us live feeling like we're dead. We don't even have access to identify ourselves. We lose respect from our families, from our friends. We have a hard time going to the bathroom. We have a hard time getting a job. We have a hard time building a, a life in general. Alexa was homeless. She had apparently cut off ties with her family. But in the end, it was the family that was required to claim her body. They had it cremated here and opted not to have a funeral service. What did you learn from her? It's hard for me.
el, el verdadero dolor de un ser humano está apreciado y me encendió de nuevo la llama, el fuego para mantenerme los pies en la tierra y seguir tratando de ser mejor persona. Her friend Nandy Torres stated, she reignited the flame within me, the fire to keep my feet on the ground and keep trying to be a better person. That is one of the stories. Alexa, our beautiful sister who was murdered back in 2019, just two years before the hateful homicide of Samuel, again shot and left on the side of the road, just like Samuel. These are the true violence and cases. And as you heard from Maria, a survivor, states still to this day that she has no access to healthcare, employment, or even the right to change her gender identity or name. So right now, my audience, please make sure to do whatever you can to show support for our community out there in San Juan. But I do want to shift gears and hear from an incredible trans man by the name of Jesse. He resides in New Jersey now, but he grew up in Puerto Rico. He also knew Samuel um, briefly during a couple of pride scenes um, back in Puerto Rico. Um, but really, this is about his journey, and I think it's important for us. To, of course, we heard, and you all have heard, um, Samuel's story, and, and, and unfortunately how he is no longer with us. But I think it's also important to highlight those who are still here and to hear a little bit about their journey because I have a feeling that Samuel and Jesse's journey weren't so different after all. Take a listen. As you. As me. This is my first ride as trans, as myself. <laughs> kid I would come home and just <laughs> be in front of the mirror in the bathroom and just pick up a sock or something a piece of clothing that was small and put it in my undies and just stand there I was like maybe five six seven years old and I was doing this on a daily basis just like fantasizing about having a bulge in my pants and I started putting those things online and that's how I found out that I was basically a boy trapped in a girl's body Ayer hice arroz con habichuela, uno frito, plátano maduro y aguacate. Pero primero pediste tú a una una niña buena. Jessie, digo, Jessie, tengo que acostumbrarme a dar porque como siempre le he hecho, sabes, nena, sabes. Imagínate, 32 años. Tengo que acostumbrarme. Hasta yo mismo me confundo. Si me estoy hablando, me refiero a mí mismo con pronombres femeninos, pero uno sabe quién lo hace con mala intención y quién no. Con la familia hay que ser un poco más tolerante porque también es un proceso para ellos, tú sabes. Cuando yo comencé el tratamiento, este, se me hizo bien difícil. Yo fui primero a mi doctor primario, me, me diagnosticó con gender dysphoria. Yo comencé a llamar a las la compañías de seguro que tenía, ellos me dieron una lista de endocrinólogos que yo necesitaba ver y cuando comencé a llamarlos, que hacía cita, hacía las citas, pero me cancelaban las citas porque supuestamente no tenía ninguna underlying condition. And I, I must have called like 10, 12 different doctors. It took a long time, but I finally got a doctor who was willing to treat me. 
el doctor te va a pedir que pases por a través de un tratamiento de counseling. And then that's it. He sends you for blood work to check your testosterone levels and he prescribes you your testosterone level. Ya no me levanta llamándome barbudo y todavía no tengo pelo. This is my voice one week and one day on testosterone. This is my voice one month and 18 days on testosterone. This is my voice two months and 11 days on testosterone. This is my voice four months and three weeks on testosterone. This is my voice six months on
So as you can hear from Jesse, he not only had the support of his maternal grandmother, but he was also in a open and happy loving relationship with a trans woman named Stephanie. And he had the um, support of his sister um, as well. And I'll definitely make sure that I share this video with you all. So you can go back and learn a little bit more about Jesse's story and subscribe. And so again, my audience, I hope that gives you an idea into the journey of Samuel as well, right? He too undergone HRT, he too had navigated love, um, and also was, you know, having a supportive family and all of those things. So um, yeah, I just wanted to share that with you all as well. Now I wanted to shift gears and talk a little bit more about Samuel himself. Born April 28th, 1993. Um, you know, he had this incredible relationship with Pedra, his mother, and Hernando, his uncle, and his father, and so many others in his family. But one of the things that we want to think about in his journey was that when he was born, um, he was born a little prematurely. He wasn't supposed to be born until June of 1993, but he was born in April. And his mother recalls just, you know, him fighting as a baby, fighting for his life um, and surviving. And so she always described him as like her little fighter. Samuel would grow up happy, healthy, and typically um, described more in their youth as like very like outdoorish, loved to go hiking and um, just really connect with his friends. He had a really couple like close friends that just captivated him in his early youth, especially when he began his gender journey, again around the age of 13 in 2006. And that was really with um, his best friend, um, Cornelius. And Cornelius um, Santiago was this incredible like cisgender guy who just loved on Samuel. And he recalls his friendship with him and how things went, you know, regarding just the craziness and hecticness of life. And so my audience, you know, he recalls just like um, playing pranks on each other. They loved anime. They loved playing video games like Street Fighter and so many things. And so really my audience, you really get this relationship, this fundamental brotherhood that happens between Cornelius. Welcome back, my audience, as I was stating again. So the, the friendship, the brotherhood between Cornelius and Samuel was really empowering and pivotal. And one of the quotes that he, he shared was, Samuel, my brother, we have had 15 years of friendship. I am forever thankful for what you have taught me about the trans community, your willingness to be tolerant and understanding and open to me learning. You will forever be in my heart, my brother. Another quote came from the human rights campaign, um, you know, organizer Tori Cooper. And quote unquote states, we're only a few weeks into the new year and we have already seen several deaths of transgender and non-binary people. This is unacceptable. Samuel did not deserve to die. None of the LGBTQ people who have been killed in Puerto Rico or anywhere else deserve to have their lives cut short. We must take action now and demand that this violence ends. 
Samuel was also, or Samuel was also part of this incredible LGBTQ plus organization called Puerto Rico Padre Torres, and its organizer, Pedro Julio Serrano, um, really stated how he adores Samuel as well, how he thought he was such an incredible, just contribution to the group and his willingness to like share resources about what he learned in Florida and everything. He just really thought the world of him. But he also quotes stating, one of the most serious problems we have with the police and the Department of Justice is that they do not identify LGBTTIQ plus people in their incidents reports. Most every time an LGBTTIQ plus, is this the way it's stated, person is murdered, it is the community itself that identifies them. The police and justice fail to comply with their protocols and it even seems that they want to ignore, make invisible and minimize the serious problem of the wave of homophobic and trans violence that hunts us like never before. So my audience, this gives you an idea of just like the, the mentality of how everyone was feeling regarding the hateful homicide of Samuel Edmund Damien Valentini, also known as Sammy. Regarding to who shot Sammy, um, again, our incredible vlogger, Raven Noah, is going to provide an incredible just take on her um, her stance on the hateful homicide of Samuel Edmund Damien Valentin. Again, the 27-year-old trans-Latino male who was brutally shot over five times outside of Chumilio Alto on Friday, January 9th, 
the police and the justice department isn't um identifying the the lgbt people as far as trans people and stuff like that so basically what happened was somebody was driving a citizen they hit something they thought it was um they hit something but they found that they actually hit a body and a body allegedly just happened to be samuel that was basically shot multiple um, gunshots um and he was killed he was shot several times in various parts of his body he was also misgendered in this report so all i can say is rest in peace this is a trans man and i don't know too many people doing his story but um all i can say is rest in peace my brother rest in peace also went to his page i don't even think they even know he's passed on um and it's in, you know, it's in Puerto Rico, where he was um, killed. Oof. You know, I don't even know how to even, to even address this one. You know, this is um, Puerto Rico and stuff like that. and. Shot multiple guns, shot wounds. I don't even know how to even do crime stuff and stuff like that in Puerto Rico. But all I can say is rest in peace, my brother, rest in peace, and the family in my prayers. This As you can hear from Brave Noah, she is heartbroken and completely speechless, which is very rare um, for her. Again, incredible black trans woman. Um, based out of the East Coast and she really wanted to raise awareness and she did this vlog over a year ago um, when it was first reported and just really wanted to highlight Samuel's story um, just because again unfortunately a lot of our trans men don't get the representation that they deserve and of course um, just echoing my sister's sentiments right and Noah to Samuel Edmund Damon Valentine born April 28th, 1993, and resting on since January 9th of 2021. We remember you yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever and always. Thank you, my audience, so much for tuning in to season four, episode three of A Hateful Homicide. My name is Mallory Jenner Robinson, your host. And again, tune in next Saturday, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for our next episode. Please follow us on Instagram, and you can also like us on Facebook and use the hashtags True Crime, Trans Awareness, Suspenseful Saturdays, and Say Their Names. Thank you, and have a great day. Bye-bye. my audience as of today there's still no leads into the hateful homicide of samuel edmund damien valentine if you or anyone else has any information regarding this hateful homicide who shot sammy who did it please share any information with myself you can dm me privately or please reach out to lieutenant jose padin of the trujillo auto san juan police department Thank you, and again, continue to rest on, Sammy. Mm -hmm.